Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's better than this? Guys, being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs and Keith Sanchez. We got Chris Schubert all the way out of here for this podcast. No, actually, he's uh, just pushing some Sitting buttons. in the corner. He doesn't have a microphone, so unless he comes in, like, literally hey, steals it, uh, he won't, you won't hear from Chris today. But uh, we're from the Draft Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, your number one source for all of your sports betting needs, info, and odds. Find all the latest developments, including this week's odds for the Masters Championship and the start of the Major League Baseball season. Let's go, Mets. BetOnline, your continued source for all of your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so join today. Learn why everyone is saying BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. Uh, there's no computer in front of me to tell me what day of the week it is. It's uh, Thursday. Happy Thursday to happy you. Happy Thursday, yeah. Uh, I guess my first question is, do you know if BetOnline has a prop for the number of Mets games that you're going to watch this month in April versus the next four months Ooh. combined? Why don't you put make that odd right now? What would you take? More games in April or the more games in the next four months combined? Oh, the next four months combined. Yeah, because Mets is, uh, the baseball is an obnoxiously long sport and so you have May, June, unnecessarily July, long August. Season. I'll watch more this month than I will the next four months right. combined so for let's, sure. Well, and, and the other thing too, Kyle, is Joe and I are together a lot this month, and so we'll watch a lot of Mets baseball together. When he's not here, he's not going to watch any. Like hell you will because it's draft season, and we got a lot of football stuff to get into, and I can't have Joe flushing hours of his day, five hours of his day, down the <laughs> toilet to watch the Mets blow a lead in the eighth inning and lose a baseball game. You don't have time for that. I agree. But you know it's good background noise. So, Christ. Keith, where Keith, where are you on this baseball conversation? We've talked about a lot of things in, in our in the last year of getting to know each other. We've 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 learned a lot about you. I've yet to ask you about baseball. We need your take. Well, um, I played baseball when I was younger, all the way through high school, um, and then once I stopped playing, I stopped caring. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm I'm leaning towards the Kyle Krabs. Um, train of thought of you know baseball is way too long right 162 games yeah like that's ridiculous can we cut that down down to 20 games and 20 games that's that's where i'm at with it oh boy i'd settle Uh, for i'd settle for 81 i'd settle for 100 100 seems good 100 seems good it's a nice round number right for guys who aren't good math guys right and we know keith's no longer not a, a math guy either based on you know we're obviously all here together we're doing some fun, exciting stuff this week for TDN, and uh, we're all together. And we found out uh, Keith is right at home here on this podcast. Is not a math guy as well. We found yeah. out last night. Cal, the ultimate test of your uh, baseball, uh, whatever you want to call it, is like you grew up cheering for the Atlanta Braves, and they just won the World Series. Yeah, they did. And you still can't. And they got rid of like the hometown kid, like the the same off season, mm. who's been with the team for forever and former NL MVP and all that jazz. I'm out. I think me and Kyle have really, really similar backgrounds because I was an Atlanta Braves fan, too. We're talking about Marcus Giles. We're talking about Rafael Furcal. We're talking yeah. about Chipper. Dude, Jones. Rafael Furcal was so good. Yeah, that, that, that was he, my guy. His throw to first base is the best I've ever seen. Yeah. It's never inaccurate. Never once. 
He, he, was he got to every ball, and he was on time on a perfect line every time. He was on the money. Uh, Gary yeah. Sheffield, when they had Gary Sheffield. New York Mets game. legend Gary Sheffield. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, not a single person. That per- bat flip was sweet, though. It, it was. It was. Uh, everybody, when you were imitating batting stances growing up, which we all did. We you, all did, you did Sheffield Yeah, you did Gary swing. Sheffield. That was part of your part of – and Chuck Knobloch. Those were the two required. Oh, you can't, okay. can't not do them. Not a single person push play on this podcast to hear us talk about baseball. That's so true. Let's, they didn't – Yeah, let's, let's move on here. I want to talk about Derek Singley, cornerback from LSU, my personal CB1 um, in a vacuum, right? Um, and he had his pro day. The LSU pro day happened this week, and – you know, he runs well, he jumps well, and after what seems like an entire six-month process of sliding Derek Stingley down the board, pushing him down, pushing him down, pushing him down, this guy looks great in shorts, and all of a sudden he's back in this conversation of, well, is he going to get outside of the top 12, 10, is 12 his, his basement? What's the, the you know, where, where where's, how high is he going to go, right? But, I mean, my goodness, um, it's it's funny how all that kind of, kind of comes full circle, but I'm glad we have Keith Sanchez with us because Keith – was part of the LSU program during Derek Stingley's run at LSU. And so, Keith, would love to kind of just get your your high-level thoughts on Derek Stingley, uh, how you've processed the last few years of his career, and then, you know, how you intertwined what he did during his pro day versus all of that to create your evaluation. Yeah, so I'll start with the pro day. And the pro day, I think everybody got to see what I've seen for probably five, six years because obviously – we had to recruit him. So, you know, that's watching him since his sophomore year in high school. And that, that this guy's a <clears throat> spectacular athlete. Like, he's extremely fluid. Um, he's extremely instinctual. His ball skills are amazing. I know we've seen clips on Twitter of him going up, high-pointing the ball at the very highest point, coming down with it. And, and everything looks natural to this guy. And the reason is, is because, and I think it's the one thing that everybody questions is, his work ethic. The guy works at it. Like, I, I've never questioned Derek Stingley's um, work habits or his ability to, um, you know, try to get ready for a game. That, that was never a thought of mine um, during my time at LSU. And you got to think about it. This guy came in as a true freshman playing SEC talent and started opposite of a second-round corner, right? And so everybody took their shots at him, wanted to throw the football towards him, and he consistently made other teams pay for it. He, I think he finished that season with six interceptions and probably was maybe a top five, top ten defensive player that year. As a freshman, he was 18 years old when he did that. He was just playing, what, 1A football in Louisiana, and now he's playing SEC competition. So that's when he he garnered all of my respect as a football player. Um, and then I guess we'll talk about the two years following up, right? Um, that 2020 season, obviously I was there. And, um, you know, not to get into too many details, but a lot of things were missing, you know, just as far as, um, it being a complete season and then just LSU um, operating at the standard that they were supposed to. And, and you know, it was a lot. It was That was the COVID year. Obviously, you know, everybody looked at Jamar Chase opting out, and it was the same question, right? Like, does this guy love football? Well, hey, whatever Jamar <laughs> Chase loves, yeah, he's really working. good at football, yeah. right? So I, I think we have to think about that in context. And then last year, him um, hurting his foot, you know, the Liz Frank injury, and, and you know, that kind of set him out. And, we're in a different time and age where kids are much more aware of um, the financials and, you know, where, where they're going the next step in their career. So I can understand people questioning, but I, I think looking at it a big picture perspective that I believe that Derek Stingley will be okay on the next level. I think he's going to ball out, and I think he's going to be um, the 2019 version of what we've seen of Derek Stingley. 
one of the things that I, I felt like I, I saw in a lot of the feedback of people that were consuming the um, the videos of him jumping and running, uh, Stingley, is a lot of people were saying is like, it didn't even look like he was trying that hard. So right, That's what happens when you have an elite athlete. <laughs> right. It's, it looks easy. That's the whole point, right? That's it, There's the relative ease and effortlessness of doing things and logging the kinds of numbers and results that Derek Stingley is, that's the great reminder of like, not only is he super explosive and super twitchy and super fluid and this high level athlete, and that's what makes him so good in man coverage. It's, it's the, he's a dense kid. Like he, he's not one of these rail thin corners that doesn't carry a lot of mass on his frame and is just long and gangly. Like he's a thick dude, and you saw him in Indianapolis, and it was like, whoa! Like, is is has he not being cleared with his foot? Like, did he put on weight? And it's like, no, that's just that's how he's built, and yeah. that gave me a great appreciation for the athlete that he is. It's supposed to look easy. That's the entire point. Yeah. And he's still working back from like a surgery, right? Like he's, I don't think he's at his peak condition right now, and he still put up the numbers that he did. Yeah, um, he and like you said, that, that's not even. Probably that's him operating at 95% maybe, but that's him also knowing that he has to, had to answer some questions, right? That everybody was wondering, okay, what is Derek Stingley doing right now? Like, is he working? Is he getting after it? You know, questioning his love for the game. And I, I think that he answered those questions yesterday. And like you started this conversation off with is that he put himself back in that conversation for CB1. And I think for players, the only thing you can do is put it on film, right? And when you put on all the guys' film, whether it's Sauce Gardner, whether it's Trent McDuffie, whether it's Andrew Booth, whether it's Derek Stingley, his film is better than everybody else's. When he's at his best, he's better than everybody else. So that puts you in a perplexing situation. And me, I'm like I said, I I, I know the kid personally, um, know his background, know his father, um, know his family. I I don't question his character as a person. I, I think there were a lot of things that were going on. Injury was unfortunate, but I think he's going to get after it. So, obviously, there's a great deal of respect from everybody here on this show right now for Derek Stingley Jr. You, Joe, you have him graded as an 80s... 88 and a half. 88 and a half. Yeah. Uh, I have him graded as an 89. Keith, do you know exactly what your grade is on Derek Stingley? 91. Okay. So, different stratosphere here in the middle. That's... Okay. He won up... Everybody just won up The guy with the most information about him, you know. Um, And... I, I guess for me, like, it's a nice reminder of what Derek Stingley can be, but I'm still not coming off. I have him a half a point below Sauce Gardner because, Joe, we always go back to the old adage, your best ability is availability, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that there have been availability questions for each of the last two years, my gripes with Derek Stingley have never been the talent, right? Or my concerns, my apprehension. Mm-hmm. What would make me scared? You know, and if you're you're vetting these players, this process. I mean, we were we were just sitting here watching some of the the Colts series with the next pick, and they they talk about their entire process is they start with fifteen thousand players, and then the mm-hmm. next time they is twenty five hundred, and then it's two hundred and seventy five to three hundred, and then they, by the time the draft code rolls around, they're at one hundred and fifty to one hundred seventy players. It's those disqualifiers. Yeah. And I certainly don't think Derek Stingley is in that realm, especially now that he's tested and he showcased how explosive he is. 
But if you're going to hold two guys up next to each other and they're very closely graded, which they are for me, that's still going to be a thing where I would probably defer to the guy who doesn't have the availability because Derek Stingley's a better athlete than Sauce Gardner, right? And I think his peak play, we all agree, 2019 yeah. Derek Stingley's the best corner tape Unmatched. that exists in this class. Yeah. But if they are side-by-side, side, what's going to be the disqualifier for one team to make that decision for one player over another? And the availability issues that have existed for Derek Stingley still might be the thing that makes him not CB1 with the actual draft rolls around. So Keith Sanchez... Senior NFL Draft Analyst at thedraftnetwork.com, also the host of the Talent Factor podcast. And so, Keith, let's get a little plug here into your podcast, what's going on, and uh, what people can expect if they were to push play on that. Right. So, um, obviously, you guys talk a lot of NFL football and, you know, being with the Draft Network, I thought that we should complete the process. And me and Damian Parsons, we talk about college football, and it kind of helps merge that that transition for college football fans going into the NFL and, you know, just being able to make a seamless process. So we talk college football, everything college football, the top prospects um, coming up this upcoming season. We're going to talk about games, matchups, who we think will be good matchups. And then we're also, because we always talk about talent, right? It's the talent factor. We're going to implement matchups and why we think it, it will work, right? So if it's an Alabama versus Texas a&M game, we're going to go through the offensive line, defensive line, and who we feel will win that battle, or the wide receivers versus the defensive backs, who will win that battle, and then what is the the best path for either team to have success to win that game. So it'll be a different breakdown because we'll evaluate the players and let the players somewhat dictate what the outcome will be. And what we know, we work in evaluations um, that that usually is, right? Like, it's, it's one thing the X's and O's, but the players usually make plays, and that usually... uh makes the plays an outcome. So do we want to talk about this trade that happened this week too? Because I know we we brought it up and Keith's like, oh, I got some thoughts. We got to talk about this. So there was a big trade that happened earlier this week. Uh, didn't necessarily shake up the draft order too much for 2022 other than New Orleans getting multiple ones and Philadelphia going from three to two. What a problem to have. Uh, they still have four first-round picks over the next two years. It just so happens they're now two-and-two two split. Uh, so, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you have the full terms of this co- this trade available, and then we can talk about what we think it might mean. I know there's some people that say, oh, this is to get in front of the Chargers for a tackle. I don't think any of the top four tackles are going to be there at right. 17 regardless or wherever yeah. it was. So uh, why don't you go ahead and give us the, the full terms of the trade? All right, so the New Orleans Saints in this trade, they get pick 16 this year, they get pick 19 this year, and a six-round pick this year. Okay. The Eagles receive pick number 18 this year. Okay. Third-round pick this year, number 101. Okay. Seventh-round pick this year, 2023-1, and a 2024-2. They made out like bandits. <laughs> the Eagles... Made out like bandits. Like bandits. Is this Marcus Davenport trade all over again for you, brother? What what player would they have to get for it to not be the Marcus Davenport trade all over again? Oh my god! Here's the thing, man, and and I know that Keith really has some some stuff he wants to say here. I don't think any of this is for a quarterback. I don't. I think they're perfectly fine rolling with Jameis Winston. And using these assets right now 
to help balance out what they need around him for him to succeed. And I wonder how much of this for the Saints is sending a message to your locker room that includes players like Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas and Cam Jordan and Marshawn Lattimore and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and Demario Davis, like very good NFL players that just watched Drew Brees leave two years ago, that just watched Sean Payton retire. And for them to insert Dennis Allen and send that message that, hey, guys, we're here to win. We're here to compete. We want to get assets right now that can help complement this roster and build this thing out because we feel like we can win. And we look at this NFC landscape that is very wide open. We just did the quarterback tiering podcast yesterday. That should give you some some real insight into the opportunities that exist to compete in the NFC. And I think this is Mickey Loomis's uh, message to that group saying, Hey guys, we're going to support you. We're going to do what we can to win this year. Let's give us give us your best. We're going to go out there and try to win. That that's what I think this is. That's what I think also. And I guess you know you disagree with it, but when I seen it, I agree with it a hundred percent. Because you think about this is a New Orleans Saints team. I think went seven and ten, eight and nine, something last like year. that. Yeah. But they they beat Tom Brady, right? They blanked Tom Brady. So you're talking about you have a really good defense, right? Then offensive-wise, um, you need to add to wide receiver. Then you lost your left tackle. But other than that, you you have some pieces there to build. So I, I think that this was not only a message to the team. I thought this was a message to the fans and the, the rest of the NFL that we're coming. Like, you know, they're, they're about to get after it. And I thought it was good because there's no time like the present, right? Like the NFL is consistently changing so much. So why not get two first-round picks? And I, if they are able to dress left tackle, then I think that's fine. But I think they also have some holes in their secondary. Like if you can get a guy like Daxton Hill right there and pair him with a Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, now you have a dynamic duo back there as far as how multiple, you know, they're all and what they can do. And then if you if you can get a defensive lineman up front um, or draft one of these dynamic wide receivers to pair along with Michael Thomas because we know that that's been a big issue. So I think they put themselves right in the middle of the draft where – I think we all can agree that there's some good talent to be had right there in the middle of the draft, and you're adding that to a um, to an already talented roster. So I, I was on board 100% with this move. So I think we can all agree that it sounds like we agree that the messaging is that the Saints are trying to tell everybody that, hey, we're here to compete. We also can probably agree that they did not get good value in this trade, right? The, the Eagles won this trade in terms of collection of assets given versus collection of assets received. This, to, to me, me, is grossly in favor of the Philadelphia Let me Eagles. ask you this, because there will be people that disagree, and a lot of that comes... It, Keith's raising his hand. Let, let me share the mic with me, sir. Let me, let, me ask, let me finish the question. What Joe, what do you... And then, Keith, I want your opinion on this, too. This is a, a scouting, team-building, ideology question that I've, I have not spoken to Keith about, so I'm fascinated to see what, where he's going to go. You and I have at least had this conversation before to some degree, so I know what I'm going to expect to hear from you. Maybe you'll surprise me. But the people who say that that's not the case say that a bird in hand is worth two in the bush, right? And usually that's referred to in this lens and spectrum as a known NFL talent versus unknown NFL talents that are rookies coming in. But also... Getting your assets now versus having to wait a year or two years for some of these assets to come down the pipeline to pay off for Philadelphia. So, Joe and Keith, 
How does the fact that Philly has to wait for a longer, they got to wait 12 and 24 months mm-hmm. to get returns, yep. some, some of the returns of this trade, how does that impact your perception of the value that was exchanged between New Orleans and Philadelphia? Well, I, I think for Philadelphia, this gives them an extended opportunity to evaluate Jalen Hurts, to really understand what they have in him. And if they like what they see, well, they've got a ton of ammunition to build around him. If they don't like what they see, they have a ton of ammunition to replace him. And so I think for Philadelphia, that kicking the can a little bit and moving some of those assets into future years gives them a better sample size of information to evaluate Jalen Hurts. And so given that context, that sways me away from the, well, the bird in hands better than two in the bush because I feel like they do need that extended time to make a decision on Jalen Hurts. Right. And so from the Saints perspective, I, I think that we can't look at this trade um, in a vacuum, right? Like we have to understand that there's context to each team. And I think that they're at two different points as far as the Eagles, where they are building their team and their franchise, their roster, and where the Saints are building their team, their franchise, and their roster. And I think that the Saints was like, you know what? We're in somewhat of a win now mode, right? Like, and we kind of see. They always are. yeah that's the theme of the saints right and mickey loomis um but somewhat with the rams right like everybody was saying it was reckless it was reckless but the rams they put that themselves in that position to where they can take an unorthodox approach to win a championship and i think the saints feel as though and you know time will tell that they're in that position to where they can take an unorthodox approach to win a championship maybe they're not worried about three years from now because they feel like their window is in these three years, right? They may not be worrying about 2024 or 2025 because they're like, you know what? The time is now. The way quarterbacks move around, you have no idea, right? Baker Mayfield was supposed to get a big contract. Now he's on his way out of Cleveland and the Cleveland Browns have Deshaun Watson. So, I mean, the NFL is reckless from year to year. And I think that the Saints are going after it right now. I agree with the applying specific context to both teams. I would be more critical of Philly deferring some premier assets if it wasn't the draft class that it was and if they didn't still have two first-round picks in the top 20 in this year's class or in the top 25 of this year's class. Do you need three in a space of the draft where, like, okay, we we, we want to evaluate our quarterback, right? But we want to also have the house money. I mean, there, there's a number of teams that are already loaded up for 2023. And we, we hear about the quarterback class, and uh, we we won't know what next year's quarterback class actually is until probably November next year, right? I mean, we, we, gotta, we got probably six months, eight months, to figure out who's legit, who has lived up to the expectation that's eligible for this year's class. But for Philly's purposes, having the long-term flexibility, I think, is is very important. Uh, and then for New Orleans, Dennis Allen's not like some young coach that's coming in and re- eager to rebuild the program, right? So for them, it you just brought back Jameis Winston. You have fully committed to lying in this bed that you have made with void years and contract restructures. And I was looking at who they have that's coming up this upcoming year. Um, they're only $40 million over the cap limit as things wow. currently stand. Yeah, they're making progress. That's as good as it's been in years. Right. Well, that's that's because you let guys like Teron Armstead and Marcus Williams walk out the door yeah. and you can't replace them. Right. Right. 
So New Orleans, Ayamada, expiring contract. Now he's still in the books for $9 million in a void year. <laughs> but he's an expiring contract. Marcus Davenport, yeah. expiring contract. Uh, Eric McCoy, expiring Ooh. contract. Uh, the one that really hurts, has the potential to really hurt, I should say, is Chauncey Garner-Johnson. He's a fourth-round pick. He's been playing for like $650,000, $700,000 a year. He's going to be more expensive going, than that. Yep. He's going to get a lot of money. And so they can continue to restructure and they can make it work. But the attrition that's going to take place on your roster, if you've got a couple of guys that you feel like can be dudes for you and help you right now, yes. Now, how they choose to spend those picks, they're still kind of at the mercy of the top half of the draft, right? And you're going to see the. I think you'll see all four premier tackles off the board by the time they come on the clock, unless they make another move. Um, I don't think they're in a position to sniff Kyle Hamilton right now. So you lost a safety, you lost a tackle. I don't think you'll replace either one of those players. Can you go out and get a Garrett Wilson, or can you go out and get a Drake London? Or, I mean, these are the wide receivers that we are hearing in that top fifteen type of range. If one of those gets into your lap, yeah, you need somebody opposite Mike Thomas that's great. Yeah. And then what do you do with the other spot? I mean, you got to get another pass rusher to try and replace Marcus Davenport down the road. Maybe an interior defensive line. Maybe it's Devontae Wyatt. Right. Well, with Ayamata coming off the books, like right. that, that's that'd be a good fit, too. Right. So I'm interested to see how they spend, but uh I'm interested to see what takes everybody cooks up for takes on takes for tomorrow. A little birdie told me we might have Spice Sanchez back on for takes on takes, which we're very Ooh. excited for the initiation. Oh. We'll see if he's available. What yeah, is, we'll, what we'll check with his. We'll, we've got plans. his contact information. We'll, yeah. we'll see. Um, but we hope you guys enjoyed uh, today's episode of Draft Dudes looking at uh, Derek Stingley and obviously the, the reinvigoration of his draft stock courtesy of his pro day and the explosive testing numbers that he put up. Uh, and then also kind of our first deep dive into the Philadelphia New Orleans trade, which uh, kind of threw us a mild curveball as it pertains to the uh, first round of the 2022. Some of us had a mock draft come out this week. and Yeah, he dropped it on Monday, and then the trade came yeah. out like – you dropped it on Sunday, and the, the trade, trade on dropped Monday. on like Monday yeah. afternoon. Yeah, had a nice, you know, 14 hours. It was yeah. good. That's a good shelf life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we hope you guys enjoyed. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, Keith Sanchez, Chris Schubert. Let's go Mets. No. Let's don't go don't watch baseball. Watch draft prospects. That's Let's our go new, That's going to be our new hat. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thanks to our friends at Bet Online for their continued support. Talk to you tomorrow for Takes on Takes. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.